Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Well, good morning to you and welcome to the continuation of our series on Ephesians. We're just loving this whole idea of the gospel lens, seeing life completely differently through the lens of what Jesus did on the cross and the implications of that in our life through the Spirit working powerfully through us. Today we move on further into Ephesians chapter 4 and we're looking at a fantastic topic of body ministry, body life, what it looks like. And what I love about the fact that Paul's raised this is that this is such a critical issue right now in the history of Jesus' church, 2,000 years after uh, Paul wrote this. And the last time the world was shaken in the way it's being shaken now, the Christian world that is, really was 500 years ago back in the time of the the Reformation. And there were three key elements that brought about such a massive shift in the way people saw God, saw church and saw themselves. And the first one was that the existing structures of church, which back then were predominantly well, solely the Roman Catholic Church, that was the only uh, legitimized uh, Christian church in those years, that came under question. And the structures of that were being challenged and they were found obviously severely wanting. And so Luther really instigated a process where people began to find new ways of actually being the church that replaced the idea of going to church. The Catholic system very much was you go to the building and that was church. The church structure itself replaced the idea that God's people were the church. And that word uh, church they used in Reformation times was a German word, uh, Kirche, which meant the building or basilica. And so Luther brought about a huge shift in the way people saw what is body ministry. The unquestioning loyalties that they had to the way that they were doing Christian life were broken in that moment for so many. The second was a breakthrough in communication that that came about at the same time. And what that did by the uh, birth of the printing press was allowed ideas and thoughts to be spread broadly so that any man and woman could digest ideas, process them together, and they weren't reliant on the church itself or the spokesman of the church being the sole uh, deliverer of truth. This was a huge shift. It no longer belonged to those who knew the Latin and who had the Bible, because no one else had it at that time. But the printing press made the Bible available. It made ideas available. And so people were free to think and question. And the status quo was inevitably and irrevocably shaken at that point. And the third shift was a, a significant one that doesn't get talked so much about these days, but it is just as significant. And that is a shift from clergy-based ministry to laity Uh, based ministry. And what that's saying is that there was a shift that went from the priest at the time, who was the person who did all the ministry. He spoke the word of God, he ran the service, and people came to him as their, uh, like the chaplain of the area. And that was broken. And Luther really made a strong point in many of his writings that the humble maidservant or manservant was just as much a strong minister of the gospel in the way they lived their life and what they said as any trained uh, clergyman. And this was a massive shift and obviously a huge threat to the existing structures of a church of the day. And so we're now in a very similar moment that's been brought about A, by COVID, which was just accelerating the trend that was already there, but also the birth of communication through the internet, uh, online video, and all these sorts of factors. People are questioning, well, what's the point of church anymore? I can get content anywhere I like. Great question. It makes you question why people come to church. And for me, those reasons are very simple. And people come to church because they're looking for connection with each other, with other Christian people and connection with God. 
And so people are saying, well, why would I go to church anymore? The only reason they're able to ask that question is that need is not being met. So what have we been doing? What, what has church life been all about? If we're not helping people connect with each other and with God, then why are we doing it? Are they just turning up for a content delivery session? If they have, then the, the church very much, as it did in Luther's day, should come under question. And so this is the exciting thing about this time in history and the exciting thing about this passage as well. So let's move on now because Paul addressed this same issue uh, because it came up uh, post Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit came. He said straight away we need to get the understanding in our head that the body of Christ is not served solely or, or led solely by a single person. Let's have a look at what he says in uh, chapter 4 verse 7 to 13. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So let's just pick up his final statement there about the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a big deal just in that one statement, but he's quoting himself, because just a chapter before, he used that same phrase that we would know the love of God in Ephesians 3 verse 19, that, and that that love, knowing that love, would enable us to be filled to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. So hang on, what's the deal with the fullness of Christ? Is it, does it come through love or does it come through being equipped to do the ministry of the church? Well, he's saying it's both. And if, and if we need to grasp this thing because we've separated them, we've had a, a real emphasis in the last 10 or 15 years, a valid one, that for us to meet the fullness of who we can be in Christ, we need to do it from the fact that we know how loved we are. That's a given. But Paul's also saying here very clearly the other way to do that, that must go with that, is to play our part in church life to be a part of the body, to be functioning as part of the body. And for me, this is the, the death knell, if you like, of Christendom. It's really saying we can't operate as if the paid staff, the person who preaches on a Sunday, the professionals are the ones who do the work of ministry. Paul's crystal clear here. You can't experience as a person and as a church all that God has for you if all the people there are not engaged in the spiritual gifting and the grace that he's given them. And so there's two huge ramifications here, and they're game changers for us. So the first one is that we, both, we must both know his love and play our part. They're absolutely vital. He's saying you need to, there's a sense of being from his love and doing from the function. So we've got to square those two away as a natural, normal part of church life. And the second one is that he's addressing them all together. His concept here is not individualistic. He's calling them all together. You all must know the fullness of God through love and through playing our part. In other words, it's impossible for us to mature as God's people or as individuals uh, if we're not engaged in both areas of this, the love and the experience of playing our part. So to be who we're meant to be together and separately, we need to be have hearts filled with his love and fueled for mission to be playing our part. So let's go back to the beginning of this passage and talk about the grace. The, the mechanism of all of it is grace. He says, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So he's talking here not about common grace, which is a grace offered to everyone. 
Paul's talking about grace, specific grace, grace that he's given to each of us. This is the only separate part of it. It's, it's been given to all, but it's been given to you. There's separate facets of grace, like a diamond has different facets to it. He's given you grace to play your part in church life. So each one of us has that. Paul talks about the spiritual gifts as grace gifts. We've translated that to say they are spiritual gifts, but they're gifts of God's empowering presence coming into our life. And focusing on the detail of what those gifts are is the habit that we have in modern life. uh, And that can be helpful and unhelpful. I'm talking there about looking at all the lists in Scripture, and there's a few of them. There's 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, there's 11 gifts of the Spirit listed there. Romans 12, there's 7 listed there. 1 Peter 4, 10, there's 2 listed there. And Ephesians 4 that we've just read, there's 5 listed there. And people tend to separate those 5 because they talk about them as being governmental sort of leadership gifts and so on. The trouble with lists uh, in our day is that we tend to look for labels on ourselves and each other. We want to do a personality profile or some spiritual gift survey, which, which can be very helpful. But they can also be very limiting because none of these lists that Paul has given there are meant to be exhaustive. They're demonstrative of what it looks like when the grace of God comes to meet the need of the moment, of the context of that time through his people. It says it can look like this and this and this or like this and so on. And so what that can do to us is in, in the West is that we can actually uh, find a way to inoculate ourselves from using the gift because we just know so much about them. We know the passages, we know the list, we've done the profile and so on. And we can just nod our head there and just say, well, yes, I believe in the spiritual gifts, but make no firm commitment to living them out in our life because they've become more about theory than they have about practice. And so Paul's greater point here in all of his conversations about uh, grace gifts is that grace meets the need of the moment in the context that we're in. But there are gifts, there are facets to his grace that, that aren't listed in Scripture as definitively as Paul says. Uh, we have worship leaders at our church. They're very gifted at what they do. And yet worship leading is not put down as a gift of the Spirit. Why is that? Well, they didn't do worship the way we do. They didn't meet in church buildings the way we do. They didn't have amplifiers and pianos and all the stuff that we do. It's a different day. It's a different context. And modern Christians worship and exemplify their faith in ways that are slightly different to those days. And so God gives the grace that we need for our day with our people in our context. Now, the thing about gifts is that not everyone knows or utilizes their spiritual gifts. Grace uh, given to us is not necessarily grace applied, as we've found out over the weeks. Our gifts can remain unknown. They can remain ungrown. Um, And the responsibility is for us to really take the initiative of finding and discovering that grace and then growing that grace over time. And so, um, you know, this can be the fault of many of us. It can be the the fault of the church, the leadership in many ways, because we haven't taught about this sort of thing and and how to do it properly. Um, Sometimes we can have environments that undervalue gifts, some overvalue gifts. There's all sorts of reasons why. But uh, scripture is pretty clear that we are to use our gifts in proportion to our faith. Romans 12, 6 says that. And so, as we saw last time, that grace is accessed through faith in so many ways. And so the grace gifts, obviously, are used proportionally to the amount that we've learnt how to rely on that grace to work through our life. But it's God who gives the grace. Let's look at what Paul goes on to say. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. What for? To equip his people for the works of service so the body of Christ may be uh, fully grown and so on. And so the name of the game of the five that he's mentioning here, the, the apostles, prophets and evangelists and so on, is that their, their gifting is to equip others to do the ministry. 
Uh, and this is where Luther broke away from the church of his day, saying it's not about the clergy, the paid guys, it's about all of us doing it. And the role of leadership is to create a space and create opportunities for everyone to fulfill and work in the grace that God's given them. So the, the guy or girl at the top is not about, they're not the, the sole pastor, the sole trainer, the sole pastoral carer or, or hospitality person. It's, it's shared around and mixed up. And we often get hung up a little bit on these ones that Paul mentions in this passage, the fivefold, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and so on. We get hung up on these labels and, uh, and people have gone to great lengths and it's become quite a polarizing issue, especially in our modern day as movements have grabbed the fivefold and said, we're going to pin our flag on these five and we're going to structure our church and we're going to label ourselves according to this and so on. And that may or may not prove to be very wise. I guess time will tell. Uh, personally, I'm not, a, I'm not a fan of of putting a label like that against my own name. I'd rather let other people do that if they're inclined to do so. But history will judge all of us and our own people will also about what our gifting really is. I don't think it's terribly helpful to pin a label on ourselves. If, if they must be there, let someone else determine that's an obvious gift that works in our life. But you'll see that with those areas that Paul's talking about, apostle, prophet, teacher, we don't need to shy away from the fact that those giftings are, are real. We may put them by different names. I don't think that's a huge deal. There are, there are great healthy churches globally that have been operating for decades and decades who don't use uh, labels for their ministers or leaders of apostle, prophet, and so on. And yet the same gifting is coming through. We still need leaders. We still need strategists. We need good thinkers and teachers. We need those who care for people. It needs to happen. I don't think we need to get too wound up on the labels that we put on that and try to claim some scriptural authority because we've just got that against our name. The best thing, of course, I think, is that other people uh, tell us more than we tell them uh, what our gifting may be in God. And so there's a couple of areas here that I really want to play out that are potential areas, and it's a drastic word, but of malpractice um, that we can be about in church leadership and church structure. Malpractice, I'm saying that to mean we can be doing lots of stuff, but if we don't do that, we're actually guilty by our mission of doing what would really bring the church to life. And there's, these areas stick out pretty clear. The first one is that we've taken the spirit out of spiritual gifts. We've turned spiritual gifts into an assessment tool. We've turned them into a label. We've turned them into a reason why we can do this ministry, but not that ministry, and so on. And we need to bring the spirit back into it. You can tell when something is a spiritual gift, when it's a grace gift, because you can't do it. There's something happening in you that's beyond what natural ability would be able to do. There's fruit that's being born that's not human fruit. And you step back after you've just seen God use you and go, there is no way known I could ever have done that on my own. It doesn't matter what my personality profile is or how much energy I've got. God just did that and he did that through me. That's when you know it's a spiritual gift. And everyone else will notice that as well. And it's God who gets the glory, not human beings. See, we're a supernatural community. If the best we can offer is what we do in our own strength, that's not good enough. It's not going to cut it these days. We need to be working from the grace of God. So the first area of potential malpractice, I think, is that we've taken the spirit out of spiritual gifts and we've made it okay. I don't know how we've done that. I don't know how we've, as leadership we've, we've gotten by for all these years talking about spiritual gifts, but not encouraging spiritual gifts in a safe way to be activated in the church. The second one is that we don't create opportunities and challenge for everybody in the church to play their part. I remember sitting down once with a guy who was uh, the executive leader of a church, at the, about 20,000 people, it was a massive church. It was a real poster child of successful church of the day. 
And he was, he was really burdened by the idea that their ministries were full and they didn't need any more volunteers, but he saw the spiritual health of their congregation begin to sink. And his, his own words were, I'm guilty of malpractice if I don't create opportunities for everyone to play their part in our church. And it hit me as deeply as it hit him. And I resolved at that point that one of the major goals of church life is to create a space, not only where God can meet people, but, but, but people can serve God and serve each other through the grace that he gives us. And sometimes the learning in our life, the capacities that he grows, can only grow through actually doing something. There's only so much you can learn before you've just got to go out and stretch yourself, add to your own capacity by having a go. All right, so how, how do we do this? This isn't a message on the spiritual gifts. This is a message of what Paul's talking about, which is how everyone gets involved in doing that in church life. It's on the fullness of church life in us. And so the gifts of the Spirit are uniquely distinctive of being in the body of Christ. And I just want to labor this point just for a moment. These are spiritual gifts that play their part in the body of Christ. There's been a growing movement that has a lot of validity to it that talks about our role as Christians in the world, um, that we climb the various mountains in life uh, and we play our part as Christians in that space. Fantastic, impact the world that way. But we can't get away from the point, Paul's point, that spiritual gifts are uniquely designed to operate as a completion of everyone else's gifts within the body of Christ. It's a church-based thing predominantly. People may get saved through the exercising of that gift, but that gift is reliant on that gift being attached to the gifting of other people. It's a nuance that we can't forget. They are spiritual gifts, it's body ministry. And so if you are gifted uh, to be out in the world, you might be a gifted leader, gifted strategist, gifted administrator, and you're kicking goals out in the world. Fantastic, use that influence for God. How are you using that influence for God? Don't make the excuse that, well, that's where God sent me, but you're not using it intentionally for the glory of God or the building of his kingdom. We need to get harder on ourselves about this and not invest our lives in everything that is uh, opposite to building the kingdom of God. We've only got so many hours in our day and our week. And if our gifting uh, actually prohibits us from uh, our work of that in the world, prohibits us from using it in the church, I think that we can question it. We can question the weight to which we're using it, even out in the world, which we all want to see saved. We just need to ask the clear questions on that in our life. All right, three points to understanding how to work with this, how to discover calling, how to understand where you fit. The first one is to put the horse before the cart. What I'm meaning there is we need to put the drivers in our life. We need to put the, the things, um, the context in which we're in and the things that fuel us before we put the definition of who I think that I am. Okay, so because what we normally do is we ask God, what's my gift? Um, what's my profile? How do you define me? What box am I in so I know where I can plug myself? And then we say, well, where am I now going to fit that description of who I am? So we're putting the cart before the horse in that sense. We're trying to define ourselves rather than look for the need because grace gifts meet the need. So we've got to put that first. So we put the horse first. We let the drivers of our life, the inner compelling that he's building in us, because spiritual gifting will come from within. We need to let those motivations of the spirit allow them to find their head in the context in which he's given us. And so we're compelled by his love and we're compelled by his love to fit within our tribe and meet a need that's apparent there. So we put the horse before the cart. And then secondly, we discover that my calling is actually a journey. We need to understand that we discern what our gifts are over time. He will seldom tell you in advance uh, a definitive calling or description of spiritual gifts before you've had a chance to outwork this in your lives. 
So spiritual gifts develop from very, very small beginnings. Billy Graham didn't start preaching to tens of thousands of people. He started by preaching to himself, then his parents, then a small group. It took him years to get to the point where someone would even listen to him. He had the gift, he had to exercise it, as we all do. And he discovered it through that exercising. And sometimes the gifts begin where we least expect it. You'll be just setting yourself to be a part about what God has for you to do in the context that you are. And suddenly you find that this person from within that God's been building, when it's in that context, adds flavor and adds grace to that context. So the forming that God's given you finds itself in the function. So you can change the function, you can change the place in the context, but the same you will now begin to keep pouring out in there. So we put the horse before the cart. We discover uh, our calling through the journey of working that out. And then we put the should and the could before the call. Let me explain. There's three tiers to calling. There's what should be done. So we will limit ourselves to doing what the moral and revealed will of God says. All these things in my life should be done by somebody. We commit to that first. Then we look at our own profile and say, here's what could be done by someone like me. So we narrow the scope down over time. But if we don't know what that is, we start by just doing what should be done. So there's should, and then there's what could be done. And finally, that narrow area where we can say, this is actually my calling in life. We don't start by trying to define the calling because that only becomes apparent as we commit to what should be done. We do it in a way that could be done by us. And it's within that context, normally, that God calls us definitively to what is uh, us for us to do over time. And so we put the should and the could before the call. Okay, let's land it here. This, is a, this isn't a uh, message to the whole world. This is a, a message to Kenmore Church, the people who say this is my tribe. Uh, anyone else is welcome to listen and draw from this what you will. But I'm a local church minister. I'm a local church guy. And, I, and these telecasts are for people who call themselves part of our tribe. So let's land it here and now. Up on screen, there's a simple shape, a hexagon, which we use to really define the, the categories of ministry. It's a framework that we use to say, how can I play my part? In the local church how can i know quickly and simply where i can maybe fit and there are six areas there that we say here's what we're up to right now in our church these are, these are the frameworks of ministry we do there's sunday ministry the services and everything that's wrapped around that there's connection with people there's various ministry functions that might be age specific or, or function specific there's leadership where we grow as leaders to in a specific way to grow other people there's mobilization, which takes us out into the community. It's, it's mobilizing God's people to go. We're filling hearts to fuel mission. And then there's a whole development side, which is discipleship training, our growth track, and all those areas which grow people. So these six areas are sort of our thing. This is what we do at the moment. It may grow over time, but at the, at the moment, we, there's a lot that we can be about that's healthy and fruitful within these six categories. Within those six, there's two right now that are hot topic issues. This is in the stage of our church. These are the issues that matter right now is in, in these months of this year. First one is Sunday. And Sunday, by that I mean the church services, a gathering of God's people. It doesn't need to be Sunday. Uh, I'm hopeful that we can actually get midweek services going and maybe a, a nighttime, which might be Saturday or, or whatever. The, the concept here is what happens when we get a corporate gathering of God's people together. We have real needs there. And you don't have to do a spiritual gift assessment to figure this one out and be a part. We need more people in our worship team. We love our worship team, but they're working way too hard uh, given what I'm asking them to put out all the time. So we need more people worshiping. You may not play an instrument just yet. Good time to pick one up and learn. That's how I got into it and ended up uh, being a musician and worship leader for over 20 years just because I saw the need in church life. Had a ball with that for so long. Would have been happy just to do that. So we need people to join on the tech team, on the worship team, 
prayer team. We need to grow uh, more prayer ministers. We need intercessors praying through the services. So you can be a part of that and we wish that you would right now. The second major area is that of connection. Uh, there's a whole area of church world that I don't think we've discovered fully yet that I think is probably the, the, the gathering for right now. And that's the mid-sized gathering. We have corporate gatherings, we have small groups, but I think this middle-sized space of 20 to 50 people, I think that's where it's at these days. I think that's where connection can be formed, friendships can be made, and ideas spring from this sort of place. So don't wait for me or anyone else to form these up. Why don't you just say, we're going to have a barbecue at my place or we're going to get some people together. Get 30, 40 people around if you can do that. We'll help you with all that. But get people connected. Have some ideas. Get creative. Think of, think of what you would want to be a part of. And just start it up and get going and we'll get right behind you. So that's Sundays and Connections. There's more going on in our church. We have uh, the ministry area, mobilization, leadership development. They're all going to grow hugely in 2021, but I won't talk about them now in this context. And sometimes we just don't have a program yet for what God's calling you to do. But I would say go for it anyway. If it can fit, especially within our framework, that's great. But often what needs to happen is that you follow what God's telling you to do and you just kick it off. You don't wait for someone to fund it or give you permission. Just go. If it's about what God would be doing, then you go and do it. And if it's bearing fruit, if it's growing, if people are joining you in that and it's, it's going really well, then we'll probably recognize that and get right behind that as well. So don't wait to do what God wants you to do, what he's made you to do. You go for it. And, uh, and we'll just enjoy seeing those things benefit the whole church over time. All right, Paul finishes in verse 16 by saying, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The thing only grows as we commit to doing what's only ours to do. So I wonder, have you taken up your role yet in our church? I'm not looking, I'm not doing this to create uh, more people getting more, doing more stuff. I don't want to get people busy. This is a discipleship issue, not a church growth issue or a pat agenda. This is about saying you can't become who God's created you to be unless you're getting involved in God's work, because some things only happen and some things only grow by doing something. And so you can't be who God wants you to be without that. We can't be who God's called us all to be unless you're doing that. And so we all need to be uh, what God has made us to be right now. And then we can just be breaking loose into the community. So online is a link now where you can actually just fill in a quick, simple form about how you join the team. We'd love you to be a part of that. We're not compelling. We're not forcing. We're giving you the opportunity. We don't want more from you. We want more for you. So please be a part of that. And we look forward to sharing the application questions in the next segment as well. Bye for now.